Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The B-Side. Here we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. As always, as ever, I'm joined with my good friend and co-host, Connor O'Donnell. Connor, how are things with you? Uh, Things are okay. Busy. Yes, sure. <laughs> You're a busy man. You have an important job. You are well uh, I don't, I don't, managing. Let's not the, call it important. The splicing of content for yeah. different brands and whatnot. It's it's a busy time. Um, yeah. So this is a fun episode. We're this is we're hoping to do more and more of these types of episodes. Um, today we're talking about the great Steve Zahn, who you know from a myriad of movies, and we'll talk about many of them. We were lucky enough to speak with Steve Zahn. He's got a new movie out as we are speaking uh, called Cowboys. Yes, it's on VOD and in virtual cinemas. Indeed it is. Um, We were lucky enough to watch it early and speak with Steve last week, if you're listening. Uh, uh, Yeah, if you're listening as this post, basically a week and a half ago, we spoke with Steve uh, right before the movie came out, it's written and directed by Anna Kerrigan. We talk about her. We talk about we talk about the movie in our little interview with Steve Zod, but we do focus on a lot of his B sides because that is, of course, what we do on this podcast. And I have to say, incredibly friendly guy, incredibly open to talk about his career and kind of the journey. He's one of these guys, and we well, I think we'll talk more about this. We want to play you the interview early on in this episode, and then kind of elaborate you know extrapolate on what we what what we talk about with him for about 30 minutes um he's one of these guys who's done a little bit of everything he's really got this very specific presence and he he brings that to many every genre and i think to go through his filmography and rewatch some of his movies and then i obviously be lucky enough to speak with him it only underlines that right like he's just one of those guys you know what i mean yeah, no, it's and he's it's something that, you know, as we were doing this and preparing for our chat with him and stuff, um, I think at a glance, you know, you would maybe think of him listener as like the zany or or plucky best friend type character. And sure. He, and he certainly pops up as a lot of that. And I think occasionally got pigeonholed in that regard. Um, yeah. But some of the ones that we're going to highlight he just he has this um this kind of you know big energy that he channels into some of those performances that i think really s- does set him apart from even other actors who are also getting those kinds of roles at the time and mm. and even even in movies now you know at l- like a movie like cowboys um he he's not necessarily some kind of crazy chameleon or anything like that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it it's also sort of equally impressive to see how he uses that, uses that energy that he has and channels it in the different ways and in different kind of, uh, let's say, uh, wavelengths. And, um, right. and I think Cowboys is a really cool, obviously most recent example of that. So if you do get the chance to watch it, listener, yeah. you should, it's quite uh, good. I enjoyed it very much. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, we have a positive review of Cowboys on the film stage uh, website as we speak. I also enjoyed it. I think it's definitely worth the rental. And it feels like when we say this on uh, in, in the interview, it does feel almost like a culmination of a lot of his different kind of tools where like sure. 
Cowboys feels like he gets to take all the tools out of the tool bag and 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 utilize them. Mm-hmm. Um, so quickly before we we uh, send you over to the interview, a couple highlights that will get brought up in our talk, and then we'll kind of we'll circle back and talk about a few of them after the fact. In um, 1998, he's in a movie called Safe Men, which we talk about, directed by um, John Hamburg and starring Paul Giamatti and Sam Rockwell. Uh, then we we uh, man, he, Steve Zahn mentions a movie called it's called Freak Talks About Sex, though it was renamed for home video as Blowing Smoke. And um, he he references that, though I will say it's hard to find. So we'll 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 circle back to that a little bit after the interview. Um, then we're gonna quickly take a st- stop over in one with Riding in Cars with Boys, Penny Marshall's last movie, which he is great in. Spoiler alert! And our last movie is a little movie called A Perfect Getaway, directed by David Toey, which me and Connor both were excited to talk with Steve about because it's just a it's a fun movie it's just a fun thriller he's doing something totally different um but as you'll see we talk about kind of a lot of stuff with him in our in our 30 minute window so um connor unless you have anything to add no no it's just uh it, it was a real i mean he was very gracious with his time and he uh was very gracious with his uh with his thoughts and insights and, and was really his candor clown. yeah very very down to clown as it were so um so yeah hope you enjoy it listener Okay, so we are here with the one and only Steve Zahn, star of the film Cowboys, which, as you are listening, is currently available on in virtual cinemas and on VOD. Um, it's written and directed by Anna Kerrigan. The film tells the story of Troy, your character, Steve, who uh, is a good father with some problems that get in the way, let's say. Sasha Knight plays Joe, Troy's trans son, and Jillian Bell plays uh, Troy's wife and Joe's mother, who is struggling with the transition. We won't spoil it because it's a new movie and we want people to go see it. Uh, highly recommended. We watched, me and Connor watched it yesterday. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a really, it's a nice role. Steve, so you're with us. Thank you for being here. How, how are you doing? I'm great, actually. Um, oh, well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a precarious, more yeah. precarious question these days. Dude, honestly, the, I thought we were doing this at 7.30 Eastern. So I was oh, all set man. up. You're oh, ready man. for 4.30. No one's there. No one's there. <laughs> that's um, me. That's what I do. You're ready to go. <laughs> I was, um, I was, so, so, so this, as I mentioned before we started recording, this is the B side. We talk about movie stars, not the movies that made the famous or kept the famous, but the ones that made in between. And just starting with Cowboys though, because I do think me and Connor were talking kind of as we prepped, this is such a great, like, Obviously, it's a great role for you, and it's a really, uh, really kind of short, powerful film. Um, but it does kind of it takes all of the things that you've done for thirty years and like packages them into this like kind of perfect character. And it's like it's a perfect movie to use as a break, branching off point to talk about maybe some B sides and whatnot. And I guess how does this movie come to you? And I mean, what was that like for you? Well, that was my that was my reaction to it. I mean, I read it. The story was amazing to me simple, honest, raw. And the character was unbelievable. And I was, I remember reading it and being so moved by it. And I, I mean, it was just one of those rare moments where I called and said, I have to do this, man. Right. 
you know, I, I, I got to get on the horn with Anna and, and, and we did. And, and luckily I, I, I was there to make it, but, but I knew it was a tiny movie. I knew it would cost me. I mean, I paid more in the hotel bill when I left and I got that's <laughs> <laughs> true too. But, uh, um, but, but, and then it was, you know, a, a two and a half year process and, and, yeah. and, you know, keeping in contact and saying what's going on and, Hey, we're going to go, we're going to go. And it was, it was, uh, it was great. I mean, I love these, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you're one of these guys, right. Where your CV, your CV is like, you know, I mean, like your bad ape in War of the Planet of the Apes, right? Which is yeah. like an incredibly impressive performance. And you've spoken about this and just, you know, mocap and and how right. that's an art onto itself. But like that's that's like a new tool in your belt three years ago, right? And like that's a hundred million dollar movie. And then, you know, you're and I guess just speaking to what I was referencing earlier, me and Connor were talking about this. You have this inherent goodness i feel like that you emanate in your performances that you and then an energy and obviously a high energy that goes with it that um that is very specific and you like you can do you can deploy it in all these different ways right connor like do you want to elaborate yeah, on that? I mean, for instance you know, like you know i was i recently rewatched uh joyride and riding in cars with boys and a perfect getaway and to me they're all these different they're these three films that have these different sort of keys that you're playing with that sort of manic energy and you know in uh in joyride you you kind of are this lovable asshole in a in a way to right 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 to maybe yeah. paul walker's good boy uh, in in mm -hmm. some sense and uh and in riding cars with boys, it's sort of a, a more tragic version of that because you are this, you know, for lack of a better term, like irreparable fuck up uh, in terms of the path your your life is taken. But again, it's it's a sympathetic thing because you you imbue it with that that like good natured quality that really wants, you know, you want that Ray character to uh, to ultimately right. succeed. And um, and even in Perfect Getaway, which I think is a truly wonderful performance, I must say. But yeah, it's because it's, it's this fun modulation of you keying that high energy and goodness into a paranoid good guy and yeah. like you're off the rails. Yeah. And, uh, right. and so it's this to me, it was just these three films that show like if I had to. You know, if I had to just give somebody a crash course in the tools right. uh, in your tool belt, I think all of those leading into something like Cowboys is fascinating because with Cowboys, you that manic energy becomes a literal problem in the film as far as like an actual diagnosis of sorts. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Look, I mean, these characters, I, 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 I adhere to characters who are flawed, who sure. have problems, who and 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 then and then the challenge is how do you how do you find the vulnerability in those in those people how do how do, and and that's how you that's how you that's how you um shape shift for people but that's sure. also how you how you kind of take a story and 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 screw with it i mean mm -hmm. you know how do you make the guy who leaves his kid and chooses heroin over his kid a likable guy right, right. You know, even if there's not a scene there. Right. And it's a lot of I mean, that that movie I rewatched actually just last night, Riding in Cars with Boys. And that 
it's a really great point because you also there's so much you do physically to to show a guy who is like clearly struggling frankly even before the heroine enters the picture and and it's this thing of you know it you know if you if you don't even yet have any sense of where that story is going like the minute you propose to drew barrymore in that movie it's trouble right you're just kind of like oh no but you sell it with such this wonderful earnestness yeah. well, that and, and that character in that moment was honest yeah you know what I mean? yeah sure he was a good guy and he was you know he thought of himself as a good guy and that's kind of you know it's 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 playing the truth of moments really yeah and and if you play the, the i never play the movie mm-hmm. i play the play of the day right sure, the theater sure. of the day and what is that scene and what, you know what i mean yeah it's yeah. not yeah. my job to connect everything you know that's too that's impossible <laughs> right so, um, well, that's I mean, that's Penny Marshall's job in that movie. Right. And and and, exactly. and on and on we go. But in, and I think the cool thing about kind of what we're talking about is, you know, you you hit all these crazy inflection points in the culture in a lot of ways. Right. Reality Bites is a big moment early in your career, which is a, a movie that just exists forever in, all, right. in a lot of people's lives. And um, and then, like, for me and my family and I was just laughing about this last night, you've got mail your line reads like are how we like 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 we reference it constantly and i i I just such a treat to even like talk to you because that's such an important part of our like daily lives that movie it's so funny well that that movie was interesting because i i had a much bigger part i had i had oh wow i had a a love interest that that was a cop a detective and she came to my apartment and there was a murder in my building and we immediately, sorry about the dogs. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Don't worry about and, it. And immediately we, we have this attraction and we just start making out. Oh and my so gosh. It's kind of opposite to the whole finding love. And then, and then this dork kind of finds this girl. So I go to loop at the end of it. Right. Yeah. And Nora, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nora, Nora's like, Hey, Steve, um, we had to cut your, your love interest. And I, my reaction was, Oh, she was awesome. <laughs> oh, wait. So, all that's cut. <laughs> You're like, wait, but that, that means that I got cut too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, it was a lesson. Like you read the script, and you see Tom Hanks, and you know all these people, and you go like, and me, I'm the guy they cut. Oh, <laughs> that's you know, learned. But but I just just from a viewer standpoint, it you got you got to take a little sauce in the fact that what's in there is so indelible that like the the mossy line and like all of the other lines like i, I just but it's that's a good point though of in term in talking but, about kind of you know you guys talk about b-side for me it's like happy texas it's sure. like safe man which is i love safe, safe man, man. Yeah. i was gonna bring up safe which, man. and you know, happy texas is sort of like the it's like the godfather of modern sundance movies right like in terms of well it's uh, a big sell just for context so yeah. happy texas like the biggest sell broke all the records and then i do think it ultimately underperformed but it was like an unfair moment for that movie yeah because it was like it it is a good move i don't know like that's a but safe meant your point that's like a B's B side, but that's a great like oh, Sam Rockwell. Yeah. There's like on you talk about Safe Man for a minute. That movie's Safe Man was great because Sam and I were already friends. And we could, I mean, Sam and I were we knew each other in the audition rooms. We were up for everything. Mm. And it was like, who got it? Sam? Yeah. And, <laughs> and so we, we couldn't wait to work together. 
right? Right, 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 right. We love And so we finally had this opportunity and it was like, it was so great. He came up to my farmhouse in Jersey and, and for like three days and all we did was read across this table and just work and learn it. And it was, you know, we're both theater guys. So we learned that, you know, we worked together before anything, before That's we awesome. even showed up for a costume fitting. I was, a, you know, a Giamatti in it. And I mean, I watch that now and I howl like I'm not in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, and it's funny because John Hamburg directed that. Right. Yeah, and and he, and he's gone on to make like the unicorn that, is on CBS right now. You know, he's like yeah. this big guy. It's funny. Um, yeah, but you know, but you're right. So let's just actually use that because you're totally right. Like for me, right. Like you have a long time friendship with Ethan Hawke, obviously yeah. from way back when, um, the theater company, right. You guys kind of started yeah, together. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so even looking at 2001, you're in his Hamlet, right, which is the yeah. Michael Amarita film, which is totally underrated. And I'd recommend everybody watch that. Um, you're Rosencrantz, which is great. Yeah. And um, and then the next year, you're in Chelsea Walls. Chelsea Walls, which I think is a great film. I agree. It, you know what? That was one of the first. I, I want to say it was one of three first digital movies. Totally. We went in there. And Ethan was so excited. He was like, dude, we can do anything. We don't have to wait. We can just roll. I go, yeah, well, you're going to have to edit, dude. You might not want to roll too much. But we were free. And yeah. I remember I was like, man, this is like doing theater, man. We don't have to, you know. And now it's, it is it is still technical depending on the movie you're doing. But with Ethan, it was great. And then, you know, in Blaze, which was two years yeah, ago. a couple years ago, yeah. It was like the same thing. You yeah. know, the same, you know, a little more, po a little more polished, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't even have a script supervisor. Really? Like, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care if we're not crossing the line. I just want to get it. I just want to oh. get, and that's as an actor. Oh my God. It's so exciting. See, yeah. as someone, as someone who produces for my day job, that stresses me out a lot. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, that's, that's an awesome. Parents Malik, maybe. I mean, right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, this isn't a B-side because this was an acclaimed role and in, in obviously a high-profile thing. But we got to mention it just because you're so good in it. Rescue Dawn, which is oh, the Werner Herzog piece. I'm so you, proud of that. You really, you really, you pursued that role, maybe not unlike Cowboys in that way. No, yeah. I did. In the same way. There's only a few. Right. And that was with Werner Herzog. And I was, you know, I'm a huge fan. And and I love Little Dieter Needs to Fly. Mm which is based off of. Yep, sure. Yeah. And I was like, I have to meet him. I have to meet him. I have to meet him. And and hooked up a, a meeting and I went to his house in the hills and he cooked me a steak. And it was really <laughs> awesome. It was very bizarre. Like sure. The, and I stood there as he cooked my steak in this fried pan. <laughs> <laughs> and then he 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 offered me that part. And then it was went through a process and we were losing weight. And then Christian called and said, hey, it's off. Eat a steak tonight. And then I ate a steak, and the two days later I was like, "Stop eating steak!" <laughs> <laughs> Come on, like, oh man. But that your was, yeah, your body's that, like, "What are you doing to me?" Oh yeah, but that was crazy, man. And that was like, that was raw dog. I mean, that was, that was like making a movie in the seventies, man. It was just like, you know, ah, oh, man, it was crazy. It was so fun, and Christian and I had a ball. Yeah, that that is one of the funniest dudes I've ever worked with. He's so great, and yeah, it was a it was a really uh, good experience. And I yeah, and, 
And that's the thing. I mean, looking, I mean, you have so many, like there's so many different, you know, to Connor's point, you're, you're able to modulate kind of what you're, what, what you're doing. And you've, and, and obviously I'm sure you'd agree with me. You've expanded kind of the toolbox, obviously, like, like any actor, as you get older, where it's like, you know, I, I'm trying to think back like Shattered Glass, for example. Oh, I remember. Cool. Yeah, that's a great movie. And you're you're great in it. And that's a, I feel like after Happy Texas. Right. There's this moment of like, OK, this guy can do all these different things now that we've seen him in this. You know, even in Happy Texas, ultimately, you didn't get seen by that many people at the time. I think it leads you on this path where then it's like, you know, Shattered yeah. Glass, you know, like you know you're this nuanced kind of more supporting role and then like two years later you're in sahara being the funny guy well, in the biggest movie ever you know it's like when i got shattered glass i read the script and i was blown away i was like oh my god this is all the president's man this is going to be a great movie man and i i had uh, talked to the director and i was like dude i i just want to be in this man i just want to be in it yeah and so he said will you play this part i was like yes i was doing daddy daycare at the time Right. Which took like five months. You know, <laughs> right. it was insane. It, it was stupid. You yeah. know, like we shot because of little kids and Eddie and all. We, we shot like four hours a day. It was just insane. And we were there forever. But I did this movie. We worked it in, into the deal to go to Montreal and shoot it. I had more, more stuff to say in this <laughs> shattered glass than I did, it, you know, I... And I did what three days, two right. days. Yeah. It's insane. So it just goes to show you, man, you can you can actually do stuff and and you know well, and like, and like it's like you're talking about if you if someone like yourself, right? And this is maybe not everybody knows this, but look, the the infrastructure of a of a big Hollywood studio movie is such that you know, Pirates of the Caribbean shoots for a year because it's like for for reasons that are understandable. Technical, yeah, yeah. Sure. But then also just other maybe less understandable reasons that have to do with what other stuff. But 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 to your point, like Cowboys, you know, you're the hotel bill is more than my, you know, you know, after tax thing. It's like that's a real thing. Like Chelsea Wall Chelsea Walls is probably the same thing. You know, the bar bill is more than but it, yeah, I, I, they pay for my parking, I think. <laughs> but in the city, I was like, dude, just pay for the parking at least. <laughs> but it's like, but obviously people talk about this all the time. You know, the daddy daycares of the world or whatever are the thing that maybe keep, I don't know, the cowboys from coming or whatever. And, you I know, know. It, like I, is, know. I, I think yeah. you just, you know, you, you just, look, man, be a good guy. Yeah. You know, Show up early and know your shit <laughs> and then hit your mark and, and do your work and have an opinion. And, 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 and then you get older and just things start, you know, you start playing other guys. It's weird. And all of a sudden you're the dad and you're the coach. And you're like, wow, I was the stoner. And now I'm, and it, it, it kind of evolves with you. It's not like I go in and go like, okay, I'm going to do this now. Sure, sure, I, of course. I, I don't have control over that, you know, uh, but but I'll get a script and just respond to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is there any other roles that you like really had, you, you were like, I need to be in this? Or you mentioned Rescue Dawn and Cowboys. Is there anything else that comes to mind? That I got? Or just, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, that you got. Yeah, or, or yeah. Well, Joyride, I thought was brilliant script. Yeah. John Dahl was so amazing. 
Um, I want I wanted desperately to do this this I did this mini series on on CBS CBS whatever um, uh, uh, Comanche Moon. Oh yeah, and it was a prequel to, to Lonesome Dove, and it was to play Gus Bob Duvall. Yeah, yeah. I I I flew down to to meet Mercury down down in in Tucson. Right, and, and I had to get approved by him. I was so scared to do that part because because it was you know it's made infamous by one of the greatest actors of all time, and I was like, how do I do this? How do I play a character and yet tip my hat to, you know, Robert, and and and, and I had so much fun on that. But I I really wanted to do I wanted to do a western. I wanted to spend five months in the desert riding every day. I could care if that thing. I don't even care how it came out in the end. I was it was so much fun. And that was and that was CBS just to just kind of and it was you know you had Linda Cardellini, Val Kilmer, Elizabeth Banks, directed by Simon Windsor. Simon Windsor did the first one. Oh, he did the first one. I got it, it. it was it was kind of the same production designer, costume designer. It was really kind of cool, but it was the same budget. Yeah, that some Dove had. Oh my like god, nineteen eighty <laughs> what? Yeah. Seven, yeah, right, right. The same budget. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. you know, it it lacks some, you know, <laughs> sure. more time. <laughs> um, yeah. We should bring up now that we're quickly into TV. Tremé is like, yeah, I mean, that, a wonderful one. show. Hey, that was another one. It was like, you know, you know, Simon. I mean, that that alone, David Simon. I was just like, yeah, I want to be in it. And then right. I read it and I was like, oh my God, this is a departure. This is like, a, you know, yeah. to me, you know, and a musician. And, and, and that was like being in a documentary because everybody, I, I mean, everyone I worked with, when I worked with like Kim Dickens, mm-hmm. sure. right? We were so excited because there was a, there was another actor that was going to hit a mark and we were going to have an easy day. <laughs> Usually I was just with people like, you know, the lawyer was the actual lawyer in the story that the real guy played the, you know, and the, I, I was constantly working with people that, which I made, made that show great. I thought, you know, it, it had this weird raw feel to it. So, yeah. I mean, that's almost, I mean, he, so David Simon created the wire. And so that what's happening in Treme, it's almost, it's almost an extension of those elements of the wire, more extreme with real yeah. people being involved to your point. It's a great totally. series that no one saw, but it was, you know, it was, it was beautiful. It was four seasons, you know, but now you can be in a show. And now you can be in a hit show. You know, somebody who said, oh, are you busy? Yeah, dude. I'm, I'm on like the hat gang. <laughs> um it's not been on for nine years dude like well I'm, do you what i've never even heard of that that's a good question do you do you find it do you find you know it hard? From. <laughs> hey i want to i want to watch it now i want to watch the hacking do do you do you find it hard is that a, is that a harder part of the business now where you have to in a way be there's like you're talking about like in 95, it's just different where it's like, you know, the networks or everything. Like, do you have to be juggling multiple things now? Is that a thing you have to kind of contest with or no? In work? Yeah, like just because it's like you have to be on all these different – like you're talking about like, oh, I'm on this show, but I'm also doing this thing. Or is that not something, oh, something yeah. you worry no, about? Yeah, no, I rarely am like that. I mean, honestly, right now I'm, I'm nuts because I got to fly. I did this thing in Hawaii with Mike White, this HBO oh, cool. thing. And we didn't finish it because we had a positive – false positive – Right before Christmas, we had to go home. Now I have to fly back 
Tuesday, work for one day, classic. fly back, and then one day, and then go to Toronto, quarantine for two weeks, and then do a movie. Oh, wow. A great, a real fun uh, New Line movie called um, 8-Bit Christmas. It's like Ooh. 1986. It's awesome. So I'll be up there till the end of March. So I'm, I am I went from like COVID land, splitting wood. I live on a farm. Like just that guy. Sure. And then all of a sudden you're boom. Back it's, into it. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so I guess to bring it back to Cowboys, um, it's it's great to see it all come together. There's so many other great performances. I mean, you're 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 mostly working with Sasha, obviously. Yeah, um, which plays, is so great. Sasha is great as Joe, and it's 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 you have Ann Dowd, you have, it's just like one of those movies where every, yeah, like really good people. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, so it premiered at Tribeca. It's like, like we're talking about, it's out as you're listening to this, it's already out. The thing that struck me as I watched it last night is it feels, and I think Dan kind of mentioned this is it's, it feels like this wonderful kind of culmination of, of how you've developed yourself over the years as an actor. And, and I think one of the things that impressed me the most while I watched the movie is how deftly it walks this super fine line between kind of, I mean, obviously it's funny in parts and sad in parts and things like that, but, but beyond just the tone of it, the, the nature in which you and uh, Jillian Bell both play off Sasha in the sense of, you know, I think in, I think in sort of lesser hands from everybody involved, it would have right. been very easy to make you sort of just the understanding, you know, the understanding parent that that's saving right. the child from, well, and, you know. And, and that's the beauty of it. It's these really flawed people that are just doing the best they can. Yeah, you know? yeah. And the, and the simplicity in, in Troy, my character. I mean, I read it, you know, there's this this transgender story right mm -hmm, right and yet that's kind of like i read it as a a a, 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 a father and son journey movie and it, mm -hmm. and it and it you know what i mean it, it it doesn't hit you over the head and that's what makes it so brilliant and and really um you know that's how that side of the story works because you don't focus on it constantly yeah no and it, escaping basically going yeah. to a place and it's no that's and that's super smart because i think it it makes the sort of position of the movie even clearer that that the way it, it feels like the way you tackled that performance and the approach you just described further sort of elucidates the idea that it's like, yeah, I don't know, for some parents, this might be easy. And for some, it, yeah, you it's know, complicated, it yeah. might be super hard and complicated and difficult. Right. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that maybe this guy would be the 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 stereotypical guy that you would think would have a big problem with it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, he's it, not. He's, he's totally not. like, yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> and that scene, yeah, that scene where yeah. that scene where they have the conversation early on is so beautifully rendered, playing yeah. maybe against like you're talking about expectations. I only have a couple more minutes, but so I just wanted to take the uh, time to thank you and also ask you: Are there is there anything else B-sidey wise that we might have missed? Things that you kind um, of you know what? there's a great movie and i forgot about it <laughs> so many i've done but and my son my son uh you know during covid he's he's 
a student at DePaul, but he was home. We, and he was like, let's watch one of your movies. Because <laughs> we never watched, you know, we were always watching whatever, some old movie. And I was looking through stuff and I found this. It was originally called Freak Talks About Sex. And <laughs> it turned into um, Blowing Smoke. Blowing they Smoke. Thought, they thought, you know, Freak Talks About Sex is a great title. But blowing smoke, and they put like a cover on it. They 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 knew it wasn't going to do anything, so they tried to make it something it wasn't. Basically, it looks like this fun kind of you know romp, and oh, it's smoking pot. But the movie, I I really like that movie. That's a that's a really good movie. Um, Here we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it now as well. I'm proud yeah. of that. I love that performance. Like my son was like, that was awesome. Like, yeah, I, you. It's yeah, you and Josh Hamilton, who who's yeah. a, who's another kind of in the Ethan Hawke, Steve Zahn camp there. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're gonna have to. So much fun. We rented a house in upstate New York. Me and Josh, and we just hung out. We worked on our shit and went and shot. And the and the producer's mom was caterer. We just had like spaghetti. I love it. <laughs> well, let's. Well, that's a good rec. That's a good rec to go out on. Let's look yeah. look for that one. Either either it's called Freak Talks About Sex or, sex or Blowing Smoke. Blowing Smoke. Blowing Smoke. Yeah. Steve Zahn, thank you for for coming on with us. Oh, uh, congr- great. I'm sure it's all downhill after this. Congr- <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations on Cowboys. Um, like we said, it is a film to watch, and your performance is one of the one of the many highlights. So, thank you very much. Good luck with the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. What a gentleman, a great conversation. Um, Like we said before, a guy who was really willing to kind of talk through all the different elements of his career, kind of acknowledged, like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, how early on, maybe he was pegged as like the stoner type in some movies and then kind of broke out from that. We mentioned Happy Texas, which felt like an inflection point. He kind of acknowledged that in terms of that was a big Sundance movie. I'll put a link Full, I'll put a link that references what we talk about where Happy Texas was this bought for a, a record breaking sum out of Sundance and then ultimately underperformed at the box office, which was kind of the beginning of a bubble bursting of sorts at the Sundance Film Festival in the early 2000s. And then obviously that kind of, you know, now we're in a different age of streaming services you know, paying $25 million for Coda, you know, at the most recent Sundance, the virtual Sundance that just ended. So, you know, there are ebbs and flows like anything uh, like that, but happy Texas is an important marker in the history of that festival. And for Steve Zahn's career, because even though it might've underperformed as we kind of talked about, he's doing something different in that movie. And I do think it leads him to other, maybe more nuanced roles because the right people did see it, you know, probably at Sundance, frankly. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, starting with safe men, just because we do talk, we did talk a lot about it, um, which is basically because he really likes it. And I was happy he brought it up because that's a movie safe men. I, I think I'll tell you, I, t- I think I'll tell you exactly how I got to Safe Men in my like movie watching life, which is maybe a little weird, but when I was younger, there was a movie I sought out called I think it was because yeah, I saw Walk Hard, um, okay. the Dewey Cox story, which I love. Yeah, sure. And Jake Kasdan directed it, right? He yep. was the son of Lawrence Kasdan. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, sometimes when I see a movie like that, like Walk Hard, and I just, like, fall in love and whatever, I, you know, this is obviously apropos of this whole podcast. I'll go down the rabbit hole and be like, oh, my God, what else did this guy do, blah, blah, blah. Jake Kasdan, I think early on, it might be his first movie, as a matter of fact, he made a movie that came also came out in 1998 called Zero Effect mm-hmm. with Bill Pullman and young, younger Ben Stiller. And it's, and it's this, like... um. This private detective story played by Bill Pullman, and you know it's it's a it's very niche and like very kind of weird and funny, and I really like the movie. And I think kind of in in watching and liking that movie, I was like I came across Safe Men because it's the same general world. Like, you could like program them together, like you could. Uh, have you seen Zero Effect? You know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it's and it's it is very much both. Movies. It's similar, right? They're yeah, similar they're, movies. They, kind the of, vibe, yeah. the energy, and it's not quite. I mean, you know, you've probably heard both of us talk about like the era of like Pulp Fiction ripoff movies. Um, I don't right. think either of these movies are no. they're not in that zone. They're certainly maybe in like the uh, the periphery of those other movies, right? Like it's all kind of well, happening at the same time. But these I, I would yeah. I would liken these more to something like Bottle Rocket, which Well, right, I was gonna are, say which exactly. are these like these they're still, you know, kind of crime capers or or what have you, but they're they're a little left of that center in terms of their slight oddball or indie sensibilities, I think. Well, I, and I think we bring up the full fiction effect constantly on this podcast. And I think it's because it really was as big as we reference it as, right? You have, you know, that El Mariachi, Reservoir Dogs into Pulp Fiction led to, in some way, right, clerks led to bottle rocket led to the whole Wes Anderson thing. And yeah, you're totally right. Zero effect and safe men. You basically have these like quirky crime comedies that exists in the fulcrum of all of that stuff where you have like October films, for example, which put out safe men, a smaller independent shingle seeing that and, and saying maybe that's a crossover hit for us. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was not right. Safe men was not, but you know, going back to it more than 20 years later, as Steve Zahn says on in the interview, it's it's such a, a nice, funny, it's strange a, movie with very, these crazy performances. Yeah, it's a very surprisingly pleasant film. Yeah. Like, there isn't... Um, you know, I think when you get... The moments in, where you think it's going to get crazy, it kind of goes maybe... In another way. Yeah, no, bit. no. Yeah. It's to its credit, right? Like, um, yeah. and we'll the, the plot quickly, sort of briefly. Basically, Sam Rockwell and Steve Zahn play Sam and Eddie, respectively. And they are these two friends who are a singer-songwriter duo and obviously not really hacking it. And they basically it's a mis- you know, it's a wrong man scenario where they get mistaken for two sort of top-tier safe crackers played by uh played by Mark Ruffalo uh and Josh Pace and um they basically get roped via Paul Giamatti uh playing a man named Veal Chop uh via Paul Giamatti they get roped into working for a crime a providence based crime boss named uh 
named Big Fat Bernie Gale, played by Michael Lerner. And the great Michael Lerner. He's very good in it, actually. And and uh, Michael Lerner is like Barton Fink, and you, you know, he's yeah, just you does, would, he's, he's, he's a character actor. You would know him uh, if you saw him. The I feel like I feel terrible for this, but I feel like the first thing my brain goes to is the is like the Ebert caricature in Godzilla as the mayor. oh right, of course, um, of course. And that's like the thing I always think of. But um, but basically, and also we should say jo- Josh Pace just because I feel like he never gets enough credit. He's he's kind of always been one of these guys that's on the periphery like he's great in this uh lynn shelton movie touchy feely you know like he's in a great um nicole halverson movie please give you know he's like always right. kind of in these good small oh, he was movies in motherless brooklyn yeah and he's yeah. like and he and he was in joker right. right like you know like he's just one of these guys right. big things and small roles and small things and bigger roles and you know um anyway uh, sorry, I will. No, let you no, no. That, I mean, that's I would. You know, you should seek it out. You can rent it. Um, it's a fun little movie. It's brisk. It maybe seems a little over edited because it is very short, and there is some Sam Rockwell narration that kind of puts the button on a couple sequences. Um, so it feels like it maybe got really heavily cut, and I have to wonder if maybe some of the stuff that got cut is maybe the more like pulp fiction edgy stuff yeah that 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 got well, cut down because it is well it's a pretty yeah. wholesome movie for a, a crime movie like it's, well i was gonna say i mean so this is written and directed by john hamburg which i believe in a way kind of must have been a calling card because you might not know john hamburg by name but he ended up becoming a pretty successful comedy director he made a long came poly with ben stiller which was a big hit yeah he made I love you, man. Which was a, not a, maybe a huge hit, but a, definitely a modest hit, and a movie that I think is like one of the funny movies I've ever seen. I I think I might be alone a little bit loving it as much as I do. I know people; it's well liked. I think, people, yeah, I think people. Look I at find it that fondly, movie. Though. I find that movie hysterical. And then, like John Hamburg, now he made Why Him with Brian Cranston and James Franco, which kind of underperformed, though I do think it was actually a pretty funny movie. Um, and since he's like he's a showrunner. Right. Like he there's a show on I think CBS, like I think the only network show I watch right now called The Unicorn, which he is the showrunner on, right? Which I think I mentioned in the in the interview actually. But like anyway, it's not unlike also Zero Effect where now Jake Hazen has kind of gone on to you know, expand his career and do kind of any every manner of big and small thing. Um it's just kind of also fun to see these creative people, you know, spread their wings with a smaller budget and i guess to the point about maybe there's some edge missing i don't know because john hamburg's whole thing is a bit more like wholesome soft yeah or, you know soft it, it you know softer like, on it, the edges it might also just be like an 80 page script you know that got sure, made sure. into a 78 minute movie or whatever. and it's like young mark ruffalo is so fun it's like two years before you can count on me where he's just like this great young he, handsome actor you yeah know? Like, he's he's a lot of fun in this movie and i liked the idea and we should say steve zahn is really fun in this movie oh yeah yeah, yeah. i mean to speak about his portion of it it's i what i like about steve zahn in this movie is that he's if you, if i were to tell you who played who yeah, 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 I yeah, feel yeah. like you would think it's the other person, right? Like it's definitely a King of Marvin Gardens type yeah, of thing. And, yeah, and but it works here in the sense of like there's a um there's you know, Sam Rockwell is kind of this aloof 
kind of idiot, but very like sweet idiot. And Steve Zahn is the like maybe slightly more aggro like friend who is kind of constantly a little bit more the straight man to Sam Rockwell's aloof idiot. Right. And it's, it's just not what you would necessarily think. And frankly, if they, if they were to like make it now or make it not even now, but maybe make it 10 years after this, maybe they would have swapped parts. Right. Um, but um, but no, he he. I think he plays it well here um, because he still manages to be funny, but but not necessarily that sort of zany best friend that you would typically think of him or that he maybe even, you know, after this became a little bit more famous for. Did you look up how much money this made at the box office? I did. I did not. You want to tell me? <laughs> you want to guess? It's. I'll tell you this. It's less than a million dollars. Oh jeez, Sign- I was okay. significantly, significantly less. Oh god, I was. I was gonna say at least like two million, but let me no, say, no. what did it make? Eighty thousand dollars. Wikipedia tells me it cost a million, which take you know that's not that's not um, that's not airtight reporting by me. Um, eighty eighty thousand is the guess. Forty five thousand is the answer. Oh god. Wow. But like but like look to to what we're talking about October films and I would have to go check and see how It's got to have I, made its money back by now though, right? With like I don't know. I mean it's a good question. Like cuz that that's only box office, correct? I mean that's what I'm seeing. So October films, I feel like we've I feel like they've come up before. They so just looking, right? Like they they are basically done by the turn of the millennium, right? Like by 2000, they're, they're not really doing much, right? And they're kind of dumping their stuff. One of their last movies, for example, which just ended up being distributed by USA, right? Mm. Was remember one night at McCool's. Oh yeah. We remember should, that, we should talk about that movie. One remember night. <laughs> that that's a, that's a freaking B side. If there was one, yeah. one night. So one night at McCool's not to go on a tangent, a great example of, Hey, there's something about Mary was a huge hit. Yeah, right. Like just, let's let's do yeah. that with is with that, Liv is Tyler. Al Baldwin. In no, that? it's Michael Douglas, I believe, and it's Matt Dillon. Would oh. you know, hence the yeah? There's yeah, something yeah. about Mary. Um, and there's uh, I believe it's John Goodman. Yeah, Paul Reiser, uh, Michael Douglas, and Liv Tyler is like the Cameron right. Diaz of it all. That's so fun. Um, but anyway, so this is a bit of a guess, I would say, but. October films maybe at this point is like starting to tighten their wallet a little bit. Like right. if you look at the stuff that came out after, like they released Albert Brooks's movie, the muse in 1999, which is a movie that like, right. I will ride for it till yeah, the day I die. Yeah. I loved, the I love muse, muse got a lot of VHS play in the O'Donnell household. I loved the my muse. sister. Love the my muse. sister like loved it. And I think like, I don't know if she bought it on VHS or what, but I we should almost. Like, there's a couple movies we can't talk about too much because they're gonna be other episodes. episodes and, the, right. and, and the muse, <laughs> I will simply say, when we do the Albert Brooks B sides, right. which we of course will do, the muse will be one of them. I promise you. I guess. I guess we'll also have to do the one where he goes to uh, the freaking the middle, the mid, the mid east. Uh, the Middle East, oh, rather. Oh God! What is that? Which I know. What's that called? I can't even think of what it's called right now. But anyway, um, yeah. So Safe Men, that's a hard recommend from both of us. Like I would yeah, say, it's good. It's good. Check out Safe Men. 
you heard Steve Zahn say he loved making it. You know, as you mentioned, him and Rockwell kind of came up together in some ways. Um, uh, and then and then even parlay that to watching Zero Effect, which is, you know, has nothing to do with Steve Zahn, but is a similar, fun, amazing Bill Pullman performance, a, a fun, almost similar, actually, to your point, Connor, Zero Effect, you're going to see it and think, Ben Stiller is going to play one role and Bill Pullman is going to play the other. And it's swapped. Yeah. Which, which is really cool as well. Um, and you know, Pullman's just like, I think one of our great underrated actors actually. So like, anyway, those are kind of easy recommends. It leads us to, we can't talk too much about this movie because we couldn't really find it to watch it, frankly. But, um, as Steve Zahn said, he has fond memories of it. And if we can find it, we will tweet about it, um, in a proper way. Uh, Freak talks about sex, which became known as Blowing Smoke um, when it came out on, you know, in DVD back then. The first five minutes are on YouTube, and I was compelled. I'll say that. I was like, <laughs> I, I would like to watch the rest of this movie. Josh Hamilton's also in it. And as Steve mentioned in the interview, him and Ethan Hawke and all them, they kind of started repertory theater in the early 90s together, you know, and that's how they became friends. So it's nice to see the two of them, at least at the beginning of this movie. And yeah, I want to try to watch it all because it does seem like one of those movies that probably just got lost. And, you know, neither title, frankly, is very good, if I'm being honest. Right, so yeah. it's like... You know, it's um, it's your classic Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat situation. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, that's just one I feel like we have to just circle back around to because um, it's harder to find. But I was happy that Steve Zahn mentioned it because that's a true B-side, right? Where he's just like, I like making that movie. It never really came out. Right. Have you. The next one's Riding in Cars with Boys. We don't want to talk too much about this one, I think, because we are – I mean, this is – you know, playing our hand or, or or giving away our hand early, but I would almost guarantee that in the next like two or three months, we're gonna do a final frame episode on Penny Marshall's last movie, right? Yes, Cars with yeah, Boys. Yeah. So we don't want to talk too too much about it. I think Connor, why don't you talk about his Steve Zahn's performance in it? Because you you kind of brought it up to him in the interview, and I think you said a lot of interesting things. Yeah, no, 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 and it's it's I think the the thing about it with the thing about his performance with me in this movie a quick synopsis because like dan said we'll we will do a full sort of deeper dive into this movie but basically drew barrymore plays a single mother who wants to become a writer and winds up getting pregnant at 15 and steve zahn is the sort of deadbeat guy that gets her pregnant right and it's that he gives this amazing performance because all comes from a, such a, a place of such uh, such a desire to do good and be better. And he's not some deadbeat in the sense of like, you know, he's not violent. He doesn't, you know, he's not aggressive. He's not abusive, at least certainly. I mean, maybe a, a little emotionally abusive as the movie kind of goes on. But like, generally speaking, he is just a dude who is like trying so hard and like can't quite Didn't get it right. Isn't it funny? Didn't you, speaking of Ethan Hawke, didn't it kind of remind you a little bit of the Boyhood performance? It's similar. A little bit. Ethan Hawke in Boyhood is a lot more put together than Steve. Did. I mean, well, you know, he's, but, not, a, but he's I, not a heroin addict in, in Boyhood. Well, well you know? right. But, but to your point, though, I think, I think and, 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 you know, obviously we talked about this a little bit in the interview, but like, yeah. 
the the idea of the heart being in the right place. Yes, and, sure. And, and and also with the, I, I, the way that Boyhood presents Ethan Hawke is you're only seeing him in fits. Right. Where like the, there is a I mean I always read it like this. There is a suggestion of worse days mm. that you don't really see. Right. Right. Like the um, movies remembering him fondly because he wasn't always active or there. Yeah, it's Whereas, like picking it's like picking maybe the not so bad moments or something like sure, that. Sure, sure. But but like for me, the scene that really encapsulates the beauty of the movie end of Steve Zahn's performance in the movie is when he surprises her with the house that yeah. that Drew Barrymore's cop father, no, James it's, Woods. And it's a, beautiful scene though it is a beautiful scene because you think it's gonna go another way and it goes that it still goes that way like he he gives he shows her this house and it's a it's a nightmare right like it's public it's like literally public housing in the most you know you know it's not a great situation you can think of right 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 right, and 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 she sells it really well you know again we're not going to dwell on this too much she, i do think she gives a great performance in the oh, movie great performance. um but he yeah i don't know it's not I, it's the kind of performance as as far as steve's on is concerned i just it's a super like touching and sad performance and again he finds a way to channel this manic energy into something sad which not to not to dwell too much on cowboys either necessarily, but he kind of manages to do it in that movie as well. And I think it speaks to a weird kind of versatility that we don't often talk about because there is a I mean, I don't know. There t- it takes a, a sort of astute level of craft to be able to do that. Right. To be able to like one know enough to know the thing that you do really well or the innate thing that you have that you can work with and to be able to use that in any which way to right. convey us whether it's anger or fear or sadness or intimidation you know or something threatening or more sinister um which we'll get to in a minute but that to me is like super impressive in its own way. Um, and it just, I, I think it, it just speaks to his ability, uh, his astute abilities of ob- observation, uh, self-observation as an actor. Yeah. And I think, um, uh, yeah, I mean, everything you're saying is totally right. And we'll get into it even more when we, when we do the episode, before we move, um, on to our next movie, I wanted to quickly make a correction for myself just to kind of put a button on it. The theater company that Steve Zahn was part of in forming in 1991 with Josh Hamilton, Ethan Hawke, Robert Sean Leonard, Frank Whaley, among others, was the Malapart Theater Company in New York, uh, off-Broadway. Fun fact, the producer extraordinaire, Jason Blum, joined in 1992 as a co-producing director. Oh, that's interesting. And that's how they all know each other. Ethan Hawke knows Jason Blum forever. And um, anyway, it's just... It's fun to just kind of see that all come together. The, the, the company dissolved, you know, uh, around 2000. So, but we, he mentions it briefly in the interview. So I just want to make sure I got it right. Um, before we get to a perfect getaway, one movie I didn't mention at the beginning, but I just wanted to shout out because I just rewatched it today in preparation just because it's a good, it's just a good show. You know, everybody, <laughs> ra- everybody loves Raymond. That's just a good show. I just um, ta- I taped it. I taped this. <clears throat> Um, but a very good movie that does get brought up quickly, actually, with Steve, um, 
Billy Ray's kind of semi-masterpiece, I would say, Shattered Glass, about the infamous rise and fall of the New Republic's reporter, Stephen Glass, played yeah. in the movie by Hayden Christensen. Steve Zahn plays Adam Pennenberg, who's kind of the guy, at least the movie posits it, and I think there's truth to this, of course, the guy who kind of catches Stephen Glass in the lie that leads to all the other lies. If you don't know about Stephen Glass, I guess I won't spoil it too much for you, but like he was a journalist who plagiarized, and we'll leave it at that. The The scope of it is kind of what the movie's about. It's one of these like... It's a small movie. It got a lot of nice attention at the time, though I don't think it was overly seen. Um, I think it was both helped and significantly hindered by the Star Wars franchise. Well, like, I, cause yeah. I, well, and because this is the, this is, I think, the kind of unfair thing is that like I think Hayden Christensen is actually pretty good in this movie. I know oh, he's not, great. We're, we're oh, not, no, no. We're not he's talking great. about him, but like I think he's he great. gives a great performance. And yeah, yeah. you know, I look, dude's talents talents as an actor, maybe his range somewhat limited. We'll say we'll leave it at that. Um, but I think because of well, hang on, dude, more... can you can you jump? Can you jump like he jumps? Because <laughs> if you can't jump, you you can't be a jumper like he was. Then get out of this Zoom call, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can tell you about life as a house. Um, well, well, hang on, I which was he's also say, which he's also pretty good in. And I, and I was gonna say, if you remember, not to go down the hated Christian, but yeah. I vividly remember he did get a lot of get a lot of guff for Attack of the Clones. I this is for a longer another time. <laughs> I think I think digital cameras have a little bit to do with that. I think kind of purposely staged homage dialogue has sure, a lot to do with that. Sure. I think maybe a young actor in over his head has a little bit to do with that as sure. well. And I think he remedies a lot of it in 2005's Revenge of the Sith. Anyway, I, my in, point my point being it's the well, more yeah. it's the more high profile performance on both ends of this movie, right? Hundred percent. And so it's yeah. I think that just colors the way people look well, at it, kind of both ways. Because I remember when this came out, there was yeah. a contingent of people who were like, "No, it's good though." Like, no, that's like, that's 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 what I was going to say. I vividly remember yeah. the narrative being, "Oh wait." Hayden Christensen is doing really solid work in Life as a House and Shattered Glass. The Life as a House thing, I actually have a soft spot for that movie. I know it's kind of people would say, quote unquote, Oscar Beatty, blah, blah, blah. I don't like that phrase, what have you. But I, whether or not you like the guy dying, making amends before he goes trope, which sure. is what that movie is. Yeah. I what Hayden Christensen is doing in that movie, I think actually pretty interesting. And then I think Shadow Glass, without question, is his best performance. I mean, he's yeah. so yeah. he's so good in it. Fine but long. but but Steve Zahn, though, and just to kind of bring it back, he shows up 35 minutes into the movie, and it's like he's pr probably the most handsome I've ever seen him. He's like very kind of just comes into the movie, very charming. Him and Rosario Dawson are almost like doing a a kind of Gen X, like Woodward and Bernstein type of a thing, yeah, which yeah. is pretty cool. And like they have a great patter. And it's just fun. Like at the moment, you at the moment, and Billy Ray's a great writer. And at the moment in Shattered Glass, you kind of go, like, okay, where is this going exactly? Steve Zahn literally comes in 
like to the he like represents the second act and he's like i'll show you where it's going and you're like yeah. all right steve, yeah, yeah. He, take like, me there steve. yeah take me there so big big huge recommend as we were recording it's free on youtube uh with ads so like that's how i watched it uh, mm. i you know i don't know how long that deal will go on for but seek it out it's definitely the best movie we'll talk about of, of all these that i've seen um for sure i'm i'm, I'm caveating that because we have not finished freak talks about sex i have to tell you <laughs> um and then yeah the last one and i'll let you kind of go on this one for a minute because i sure. think we really like this movie a lot and we were happy to even just briefly talk about talk it about it, it yeah is a perfect getaway yeah so perfect getaway uh as you mentioned it's it's david toy um who you would know listener he directed uh pitch black and riddick um he didn't direct chronicles of riddick right am i no he did he did he did okay so he's he's directed the whole deal he Um, uh, the masterful riddick franchise Uh, a franchise (laughs) you own that you i own i own all of them i've rewatched i don't i don't chronicles of riddick i I do have a respect for them though chronicles of riddick shamefully underrated i riddick yeah, the Riddick the third. Like y'all, y'all are excited for the Dune movie, and you don't even realize that Chronicles <laughs> of Riddick is just sitting there waiting to be watched. Uh, and I look, I, I'm excited for the Dune movie as well. But like, I think those movies have kind of gotten reappraised, though, right? Well, a little. I think so. So the quick primer on that whole franchise is Pitch Black. Speaking of USA films, as a matter of fact, yeah, in the late '90s, or it might have even been 2000, actually. Uh, Connor, maybe you can fact check me on that. Yeah. Um, um, Pitch Black was one of these movies that was just like a surprise hit. It was like a sm- like a low budgeted two thousand two thousand okay Pitch Black. So, yeah. so listener, you you will probably remember Vin Diesel. He he. Oh, he also he, wrote The Fugitive. By the way, we should say so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah. And so the great the masterpiece, The Fugitive. So. Yes. Um, Vin Diesel comes out kind of hot. He makes, uh, I believe it's called multifacial, uh, a really yep. kind of interesting short film about kind of a, a guy of mixed race, essentially auditioning and the complications that come from that and like playing different, you know, you know, having playing. to switch his, his modes yeah, based on what diff- he was auditioning right, like, for. Yeah. like playing to different, you know, assumptions and whatnot. And then he follows it up with a feature movie he directed called Strays, which I don't think is very good, but it's one of those movies where oh, there's a lot in it and you can, I, it's a shame Vin Diesel hasn't directed since really. Mm. And then right around the corner is, is pitch black where it's like a kind of surprise B movie hit and he's awesome in it. Yeah. Oh, and, and I, and I gotta correct myself, Connor. I just looked up safemen on thenumbers.com. Oh. And <laughs> it gro- it actually grows according to the numbers, twenty-one thousand dollars. And Christ. and the in- the inflation, the inflation gets you closer to that forty-five number. So uh, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I believe it did cost a million dollars because I see well, that here as well. Uh, and here's the thing, uh, just to go back to safemen really quickly, like if you watch it. It still feels like a pretty well flexed million dollars. Like oh sure, sure like there sure. are multiple locations. Granted, like all of the location. I mean, it it seems smart in that regard, in that like all the locations are office rooms or office basements. There's like one bar with only three people in it, right? Like so, it feels pretty economical in that regard because I would. Well, and, look, and not, this also might unlike- be. 
look not honestly not unlike bottle rocket right right like, you know it's, it's, yeah, it's very, similar. very yeah. similar and like yeah. kind the kind of thing that like if i would have if you were to ask me what that movie actually cost i would have said probably at least five times that much right like so right, right. To, to that movie's credit i suppose but um anyway but so but so anyway getting back to Toei, right yeah. so so pitch black with vin diesel is a surprise hit and then and connor you can kind of make sure i'm right on this he because i'm not looking at, at yeah, this yeah, thing, yeah but, I, I, but um, I, got you. I believe he then makes below which is a darren aronofsky written Toei directed kind of submarine, submarine yeah, horror yeah. movie which is really kind of fun if yeah, i remember it's like it's got like matt davis bruce greenwood very good bruce Hol- greenwood Hol- colony in it Hol- uh, Hol- dexter fletcher yeah it's yeah a, it's a fun movie it's a fun movie but like doesn't come out really right kind of gets buried unfortunately the, the synopsis the synopsis I mean, I guess it's all you need to know, but it is just funny. The synopsis on IMDb is strange happenings occur on a World War II submarine. Uh, that's, that is what happens. Okay, there you go. That's below. And then I just, and even before we get, because we're getting close to Perfect Getaway, another kind of fun uh, movie that he directs before Pitch Black, just because I don't know that we'll ever talk about Tui's movies, honestly, for B-sides, is... He makes this fun Charlie Sheen alien movie with Lindsay Krause the Arrival. The, the Arrival. Yeah. Which is like, you know, the end of Charlie Sheen's A-list run, right? I feel like The Arrival and Money Talks is kind of it's the a end of good, that. It's a pretty good it's performance pretty, by Charlie Sheen, too, actually, yeah, if a, I'm being honest. Yeah, it's basically like more crazy contact the year before contact comes out. Sure. Right? Like, you know, and obviously I would bet you all the people in Hollywood maybe – knew that Zemeckis was doing contact and Carl Sagan and everything and maybe wasn't putting much weight into the arrival. That's a total assumption. But And then Chronicles of Riddick is... So this is where you get back to Pitchback. Chronicles of Riddick is like the huge, big-budget, dream, blank check, to use the parlance, like um, sequel to Pitch Black... And it's Vin's never been bigger. He can he can do whatever he wants. Tui's got him in, you know, they're all they're, yeah. they're in cahoots. And they basically do a riff on Dune. Yeah, they go and it, they go for broke. It's like and they really do, yeah. and it and it really, really does I, flop. To me, the best comparison is and, and I mean this in a good way, like so maybe this is kind of uh this comes with varying sort of quality depending on who's listening, but uh, to me, Chronicles of Riddick feels if you like um, Jupiter Ascending or something like that, like if you like big sure. space opera y thing. I mean, Dune is the better comparison, obviously, because it came before these. But just in terms of recent memory, it's like it is just this go for broke space opera that's an original property, right? That, like, totally, uh, you know, I think deserves maybe a little more respect. Well, and like we, and look, like we talk about a lot on this podcast and you hear and honestly i think you hear about in a lot of places now and i get it is like at the time in 04 when the chronicles came out it was like vin diesel vanity project yeah, Dune yeah. rip off the special effects aren't very good yawn 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 which is and i then, mean which is true admittedly well which is true yeah. but then to to go but then now where we are 
right? Mm-hmm. To go back, you're like, oh my God, if Chronicles of Riddick came out right now, like film Twitter would be defending it. Now yeah. I don't know if that I don't know if that means more dollars. I'm just simply saying Right. But like like Jupiter Ascending, right? Where like, it's like you like have you, you have a contingent of people who like, yeah, this movie's not great and it doesn't always work, but it's really admirable, right? Like that would be the vibe of Chronicles of Riddick if it came out yeah. right now. And then so it doesn't do well. And then five years later, Tui kind of puts out a modestly budgeted thriller called The Perfect Getaway that stars Timothy Oliphant and Steve Zahn and Mila Jovovich. And um, it's like a great little thriller with like a million twists. I don't know that I want to give it away because it's so important in the movie. I will just simply say... I'm going to put a little timestamp on it because I do think... I feel like we can't talk about Zahn in this movie without talking. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So So, go. I'll pass it to you. Yeah, so Perfect Getaway... It's a it's a it's basically a thriller where this newly married couple played by Mila Jovovich and Steve Zahn are they go to Hawaii and while they are there, they very quickly encounter uh, a set of hitchhikers who um, who are played by Chris Hemsworth and Marley Shelton and. These hitchhikers seem kind of shady. It's very much um, Chris Hemsworth's very much going for like a, a Brad Pitt, California vibe kind of um, in this movie in the moment that you see him. Because so that's kind of where this movie lands um, in terms of its vibe. Right. You feel like these two nice newlyweds are about to get terrorized by these hitchhikers. But the hitchhikers come and yes. go. And then they come and they come into contact with Tim, Tim, Timothy Olyphant and Keely Sanchez. Yes, correct. And yep. they very quickly, Timothy Olyphant presents himself as this kind of like sort of off kilter, kind of weird, but maybe just intense, you know, kind of dude. And so you can't quite get a read on him. And while this is happening, Steve Zahn looks at his phone and he sees a headline that there is a couple that's on like in the Hawaiian islands. That's like murdering people. Right. And so you start to wonder like, okay, like what's going on here? Are they about to get murdered by Timothy Oliphant? Like what's going to happen? Well, like, and you know, it's like, was it the hitchhiker? people? Yeah, right. They, so it's this, it's this whole thing swirling around and, and you don't know quite how to, how to angle it. Um, and that is where I will stop. And I will say, if you would like to watch the movie, you you can you know you can rent it, you can find it. Uh, go watch it and continue, uh, continue. But uh, if you if you aren't going to watch it just yet, jump ahead to one hour nineteen minutes and fifty three seconds, and we will button up our thoughts on Steve's on. But the thing about so perfect getaway. Um, is the turn it takes is that Mila Jovovich and Steve Zahn are the people, right? Are the killers, right? The, yeah. These this honeymoon killer couple, and it's presented this way because the start of the movie introduces you to their wedding via testimonial and found footage, and the reveal, which I think is kind of cool, is that you realize you see Timothy Oliphant, or sorry, not Timothy Oliphant, rewinding. Um, Kaylee, Kylie Sanchez 
uh, looks at the camcorder that they have and looks at the wedding footage on the camcorder and it's not them. And that's the the reveal. And this is after Steve Zahn has already kayaked away with Timothy Oliphant to this this underwater cave, basically. Um, that's, such, that's such a great it's scene, an, scene. It's a great scene and it's a great reveal. And it's it works because there's a moment where like obviously anything is possible. So there might be a moment where you're like, maybe it's them. But like the movie just doesn't really give you it it moves at such an a, a quick clip that yeah. you don't you're not really given too much of an opportunity to really muse on it so that by the time it happens you might be like oh i thought that for like a second but it's like still satisfying um well and this is where casting is great sure. because it's yeah. it's still also steve's on and yeah. you're like it's not him <laughs> no right and it's and it and this is kind of why i wanted to spoil it because it this movie allows him to play two roles against type in one movie right right and so you get to see him be like the jimmy stewart and man who knew too much in the in the first half of the movie right where he's just this guy who he's just you know trying to protect his new bride basically in this you know in the seemingly ineffective man against what you would assume timothy oliphant is is this murderer who's an ex-navy seal or whatever he is who can right, easily right, right. best him so the tension is built that way in a really really effective way and then to completely flip it where you just realize that they're both just insane um is great and he leans into it so hard in a way that like when he finally reveals himself and is menacing you're like oh wait this dude's out of his mind like this dude's crazy um and he's like and he's a hardcore drug addict and like it's like it's all that stuff kind of comes back it also is the part of the movie where (laughs) from a from a director standpoint you're kind of like oh this was directed by the guy who did pitch black and chronicles of riddick like it just sort of looks like a movie and then the second half of the movie is like very like there are a lot of flashbacks that reveal to you all these different things after the turn happens and that series of flashbacks is like highly over explode blue yeah blue it, it's very pitch blacky uh looking well looking and, and, and look what Tui what Tui does so great and I, I honestly it would be nice if Steve Zahn could work with him again I mean I think he has trouble getting movies made frankly because it's like yeah, yeah. Riddick Riddick now came out the third Riddick you know which like Vin Diesel said he had to like take out another mortgage on his home to like fund essentially which I think is the best of the three actually I I really like speaking of movies I think this is something that that Tui likes doing as a filmmaker because Riddick operates on the same sort of rules that a perfect getaway does in that it the first half of it is one movie and then halfway through it flips and it's a completely different movie and both halves are fun, right? Like, well, and, own, and, don't, and, and the thing I love about the third Riddick too is it's the first Riddick and, but now he's the monster on the planet. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, like I they, just, I, cause, cause the first one, he's the prisoner on the ship and there are monsters. And then the third one, there's a ship and he's the monster hunting them. You know, which I just, I think is a cool, yeah. I mean, and he, and that's the thing he does. And I would love, I wish we'd actually asked Steve on this. Like I would love, or told, like I told him this or whatever. Like I would have loved, I would love to see him work with, with two again, because it really feels like you get so much out of Steve's on a perfect getaway. Um, 
Yeah, I think and, it just yeah. it's it, I mean, Tui just seems like a guy in this, to your point, is probably why he has a hard time getting movies funded. But it, he just seems like a dude who's, you know, he's he's not afraid to go for broke in certain right, regards. Right. And I think that's what really unlocks helps unlock Zahn in Perfect Getaway is that it's just kind of this batshit performance, uh, particularly, obviously, in the second half. Um, and it's yeah, I don't know to key into both of those things um, to key into both of those things in one movie, I think, is is impressive, especially when you go about it in a way that he mentioned when we spoke to him, which is like he's like, oh, what like what am I doing now? Right. Like, what am I yeah. like? You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm here. Like, let's do it. Um, and I think. To, to be able to do that, to like show up. I mean, there's a lot of trust that I think an actor needs to have in a director. And I, to your, to your point again, I think it seemingly, it seemingly that relationship paid off with that trust, right? Like him being able to be like, okay, David, like, I trust that you're going to take this, my dilated eyes in this one scene where I'm just going nuts and sweating bullets and I'm a total maniac. Like, you know, I trust that you're going to be able to stitch that all together in a way that makes sense um 100 and i yeah. think yeah i think it's just a i don't know super entertaining performance i think he is uh i would say he and oliphant are both kind of the highlights of the movie i always love seeing timothy oliphant in just about anything so well yeah and the it, flip and the flip on the other side of all of you as a viewer being maybe wary of oliphant and then rooting for him so hard at the end sure yeah it's such a fun yes it's such it, a fun it, bit it, it's great um, it's a really the movie pulls a really great bait and switch uh that that i yeah. think kind of really it does um it does help it cross the finish line i think significantly because you have this um not, you know, we're not going to dwell on it too much. We did mention it briefly in our conversation with Steve, but you have something like Joyride, right? Which is a pretty entertaining movie. John Dahl, entertaining filmmaker. Um, Red Rock West is a masterpiece. It's great. You should watch it. Um, I mean, Rounders, you know. Oh, Rounders, right. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. And... And Joyride is, you know, upon rewatch, you know, better than I kind of remembered in my brain. And I and I did enjoy it as kind of this neo-noir, super dark sort of, you know, neo-duel type thing. Um, yeah, the the original, the original Abrams does Spielberg. Yes, because it's but more. Yeah, yeah, because it's written yeah. by Abrams. Um, yeah. But I, I my point that all that's to say, I do think that movie despite all that it does have going for it like i think it uses its all three of its leads effectively um ted levine gives a great voice performance as the uncredited evil, uh, right uh, yeah, yeah uncredited as the evil trucker um the rusty nail i believe is his call his, oh yeah his call sign um but the that movie i think does unfortunately kind of not stumble but it does sort of slow down as it crosses the finish line in its third act and kind of maybe leans a little bit more into like slightly more full-on horror um well and, and the same way people criticize speed when it came out because they get off the bus right 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 it, you know it's the same and i do i to be clear i do not agree with that criticism of speed i think the ending's pretty cool but like yeah that's the world you get into with Joyride where it's like, and, and the, the reason I bring it up is to say um, the 
the tone switch of perfect getaway and that that bait and switch of the two leads and who you're rooting for is the thing that helps it cross the finish line where if it was just a movie about these two people ultimately getting kind of caught up in this nefarious scenario with these two killers the way you would traditionally expect i think it would maybe just peter out and and everybody involved i think finds a really creative way for that to not happen so yeah um, no i agree i mean that's it yeah perfect getaway is another easy recommend a couple quick shout outs um i didn't mention this on uh in during our talk with steve's on but because I listened to other stuff and I feel like it's some it's not all I thought it was a B-side but ultimately it d- does not appear that it was a B-side. A movie that I grew up really liking though I've never really revisited it and I'm sure it has not aged amazingly well <laughs> but I have fond memories of it is Saving Silverman. So I can tell you friend it does not age well. <laughs> but but uh, I it's Isn't funny. there a whole thing where Jack Black like comes out at the yeah, end? Yeah, like they're they're it just. They're, but I remember that not it being pretty not. It's not homophobic, right? It's He's not. Like, no, happy to no, be no, gay. no. It's not. Yeah. It's just you know it's used as a vehicle for a, a bunch of gay jokes, a and bunch stuff of jokes for, yeah, for, sure, for being sure. funny. But I will say, admittedly, yeah, there to this day they're like between Zahn and Jack Black and their chemistry on screen. Uh, there are still like one-liners from that movie. That, That's the that thing. Crush. I mean, rush like, the not the nacho line. I do I, to yeah, this day. To this day. I do to this day. I literally I anytime I have nachos, it's a thing that crosses my mind. I'm not even like yeah. no joke. Oh my god, all the nachos are stuck together. It's That's one nacho. nacho. Um, that I do think that's kind of a good segue as we wrap it up because I think as we talk about things we want to see him do, sure. I mean, I do think more cowboys, right? Like not more of that, you know, but like more of that kind of oh, movie, yeah. that kind of performance. Oh, yeah. He's so good. Without going into it or spoiling it too much or anything, um, listener, do seek it out. Whether it's oh, virtual definitely. cinema, cinema or on VOD, it really is a, a you know, I top three if not number one steve's on performance if i'm being honest i think he's well yeah i think and i think you know we talk about rescue dawn not a b-side obviously but we bring up rescue dawn briefly and, and steve talks about how we campaign so hard to be in that movie you're in that zone right there's a desperation yeah. on display right you know what happens in rescue dawn is obviously kind of like the extreme of human like just what you've you know, a war and prisoners of war, you know, yeah, that's yeah. a different type of a thing, but like he's in, you're in the ballpark. Right. So I think like, it's a good kind of primer maybe on what cowboy, what he's doing in Cowboys. But I agree with you. Like, I don't know that he's been better than it's Cowboys. A, it's a really wonderful performance. It's got such a true, such a real well, sense. And, of- let me, and, and let me just reiterate <clears throat> this because we say this in, in the interview, but I just want to be, the beauty of that performance in Cowboys is he's playing a guy dealing with his own mania, right? Basically. Mm-hmm. And, and that once you realize that right through the movie um, and, and, you know, his son realizes that and that's a, that is all happening right in, in the picture. I think there's always a propensity of uh, uh, the fear can lead, I think, a filmmaker to go extreme. And there's certainly some extreme things that happen in the movie that I didn't love, to be honest, like in terms of just third act conveniences, potentially. 
but as his performance it's so well um calibrated yes. where like yeah. it's i feel like it really captures knowing somebody like that mm-hmm. and the thing of just like no every day they're not like going crazy it's not like you know it's not an everyday like oh he's gonna do this but it's it's always there it's and a you movie lo- that, and you love the person but yeah. it's always there and it's you know this it's thing. a movie yeah. that that i think in maybe on, on paper right at a glance decides to tackle a couple things in maybe a worrisome way right where where you're like oh, we're, oh, we're oh, gonna, oh yeah, yeah yeah like we're gonna make a movie about all of these things huh okay um and it's somehow I think just finds a way to treat them with the delicacy that they deserve. Right. And it, and it, it treats it everything in a way that feels deep, deeply thought through and deeply well rendered well, um, as far as its characters are concerned. Even, yeah. even the most antagonistic of the characters feel decidedly human and compassionate in their own, you know, uh, own way. Yeah. And, 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 and to just put a wrap, on on cowboys yes and i think because anna kerrigan the writer director knows that the film is not about those things it's about a father and a son right so correct she she's like it's about these two people right and then the other people in their lives and the things that they're all dealing with yeah but the focus is right a father and a son, right? Yeah. So it's like so. So that's the important. Thing. I didn't. I didn't. Um. I didn't say this in our conversation. Um. But the the film gave me kind of like low key Paris Texas vibes. Right. Sure. Um, sure. It's sure, not. Sure, quite, sure. It doesn't quite have the palette or the you know the entire sensibility of a Vin the Vinders epic film. The epic emotional it, scope. It, but maybe, the but there yeah. is a quiet nature, a quiet and keenly observed nature to the movie that reminded me a lot of Paris, Texas. And I would be surprised if Anna Kerrigan was not at least curbing, curbing some of that as the most, the most obvious recent uh, comp is leave no trace. Sure. You know, which is, Mm -hmm. is the Deborah Granick picture, which similar things in it. um, But uh, comparisons always make me feel like it's like you're taking away from one movie or whatever. I mean, they're, they're two totally different kind of vibes Mm -hmm. in in our approach from from totally different angles. But just in terms of, I think it's always nice. Like we talked about with zero effect and safe men to kind of say like, well, if you like this, you know, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's a, you know, you you probably would like, it's a recommendation. Um, but, but off of that, what we would want to see him do next. I mean, as we're talking, you've kind of made me realize like, can we bring Treme back? (laughs) At least give it the. Uh, can the, somebody call David Simon? Give it can the we de- get give a, it the Deadwood treatment, right? Like give it a, or the wire. Give it the wire treatment. Right, for God right. Sakes. Yeah, give it the like the the final season to just kind of you know nobody watched it, but let's revive like let's I oh, oh you mean like bringing a, a movie? I see. What yeah, you mean. yeah. I was just gonna yeah, say give I me like a two mean. hour to kind of button it up or whatever. I see um, what you're just saying. I see what you're but saying. that uh, no, I was gonna say as we've been talking, what I kind of realized, I would love to see him. I would love to see Steve Zahn work with Sam Rockwell now again. Um, Oh yes. Just cause I think they're, they've become equally just different, but interesting actors than they were 
from when they made safe men. So I think some kind of a, 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 a safer men, safer. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is I want a safe men sequel. Um, no, I but would, I, just, I would I just, not hate it. <laughs> I do just think they've become both equally interesting actors in their own right. And so I think uh, allowing them to bring that experience back to the table with the wonderful chemistry they have, uh, I think would be really awesome to see. And then the other thing kind of similarly is, uh, I would love to see him in a comedy opposite Jack Black again. I think Ooh. I, I would love to see that. Like just, you know, two slightly older dudes now, just but like Ooh. both both bringing it because that to me, you know, Saving Silverman has not aged tremendously well, as I've said, for for a number of reasons. And look, I mean, it's not I'm not even trying to single that movie out. It's, it hasn't aged well for the same reasons that like well, a, a comedy. A, I mean, every, look. every other comedy from that era. Yeah, I mean, comedy yeah, has I changed. Mean, right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that said, that movie does still contain these wonderful bits of physical comedy and slapstick comedy and all sorts of stuff that 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 are great. So. I, and I think that is in no small part to his chemistry with uh, with Jack Black. So that, well, those and, are the two and, things that I would like to see in the future, and let, for sure. And let me say, just because shout out to my sister, Mallory Mecca, when I told her what Steve's aunt told us <laughs> about You Got Mail and how he had, was supposed to have this much bigger role. And that's I mentioned this earlier. That's like the Mecca family movie. Sure. She was like down trust she was like there was more like that's like her favorite <laughs> character uh george george in uh and you've got Mail is like her favorite <laughs> character in the movie and i and we were laughing about it uh where it was like you know i feel like i gotta find the deleted scenes and send them to her or something but yeah. like anyway um yeah i mean i agree with what that in terms of what we want to see i mean i think more stuff like cowboys yeah, yeah. A, a Jack Black collaboration would be amazing. Um, I remember seeing National Security in theaters with him and Martin mm. Lawrence, you know, also directed by Dennis Dugan, who directed Saving Silverman. Did we say, what was your first Zahn? Oh, my first Zahn. It had to be You've Got Mail, right? It had to be. Yeah, I think mine. Oh, wait, was... no, 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 no. That thing you do. Yeah, of course, that I, thing think you do. That, I think that was mine too. And then yeah, the first you do. time that I think I. The first time that I think I remember him specifically in a movie um, was probably, I, I mean, frankly, was probably as a voice actor, if I'm being honest, like was, what? was probably like Stuart Little. Oh, sure. Like, I mean, you know. Reality Bites, I saw pretty young and he's great and very memorable in that movie. Yes. Yeah. And that was obviously one of his first roles. Um, So, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, like we said, as we kind of wrap this up, he is one of those guys where you're like. He's been around for thirty years, and you're like, he's great. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, you know, I, you know, he's. Re just, I mean, just reliable, like, yeah. in, in, in every sense of the word, for sure. And like he said, you know, show up, don't be an asshole, right? Like, and, and I feel like that kind of comes through in the fact that he's worked with everybody forever, lead roles, supporting roles, cameos, right, what have you. Yeah. And he'll work till the day he dies, right? And he's just one of these really kind of steadfast dudes. Um, thank you to the state of Minnesota, where he comes from. Thank you, Minnesotans, for yeah. giving us Steve's home. Um, Well, that as that wraps us up, uh, Dan, where can people find you? Oh, you know. I'll, so I'm in Pittsburgh. If you just physically, get off, <laughs> if you get off at I seventy there, and you just. <laughs> Um. Yeah. What he's saying is, please come I'm visit in, me. It's I'm been a in long my time. House. Yeah, it's been a year. It's been a year. 
No, so I'm at DJ Mecca on Twitter, of course. Uh, I'm writing stuff for the film stage uh, here and there and everywhere. Um, if you're listening, it's funny because I said this on the last episode, but for real this time. But actually, yes, okay, this is going to be right this time. <laughs> if if you're listening right now, and this is a new episode, um, in the coming days, there will be an interview with Robin Wright about her directorial feature directorial debut land. So oh, look cool. for that. Um, and then, yeah, we have some exciting things. We have Andrew Jupin from we hate movies coming on, uh, to talk about Michael Keaton. Let's, we can go ahead and spoil that. Yeah, like yeah, that's that'll, be the, up. that'll be the next um, thing you hear from us. And then as we've been mentioning, um, where the next on our list after that will be another episode of the final frame where Indeed. we will be talking about Stanley Kubrick's eyes wide shut. So um, that's kind of what we got coming up in the future. If you like what you've heard here, uh, please rate review and subscribe anywhere you, you listen to this. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. It helps us out a lot. And uh, also, if you're curious, if you want to shoot us any questions, um, you can go ahead and reach out to us at b-side at thefilmstage.com um, with any questions you might have, any any suggestions on episodes you'd like to see. Um, we'd be happy to take a look and take all those things into account. Uh, otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at scruffy looking. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B side. And, uh, thank you for listening. And like we said, he's a total pro. Uh, he's very generous with his time. So I think we can all look forward to the Renaissance.